As Jason mentioned, the, the title of this message is Uncomfortable Community, which basically means this. It's part of the, the big idea this morning is this, is that we need to choose to have people in our lives, right? People that aren't necessarily like us or even people that we necessarily like uh, who know our values, whatever your values are, who, who know what your goals are. I'm talking about as a Christ follower. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your marriage? Has God called you? You have to choose people. Not because they, you know, vote the way you do. Not because they like your football team. Not because they're, you know, they're, they're your best friend, okay? Because uh, uh, people who, will, who know what your values are, know what your stated goals are, and will be willing to encourage you and be a part of your spiritual growth. Okay, that's really what the message is about today. And sometimes choosing that community can be uncomfortable, Right? Because there are people at times, if you really want to grow, you want to get better, you want to reach your potential, they're going to challenge you in ways uh, that your friends or your best friends or your wife maybe or your husband or your, you know, your dog might not challenge you. Okay? Now, that said, with that uh, big idea, let me say something else before we get into this um, sermon this morning on uh, uh, you know, uh, Martin Luther King weekend. Um, we... Uh, it's uh, a lot of noise in our culture today about um, people and race. And, uh, and let me say this. Uh, uh, let me state what I hope is obvious, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, okay? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The Apostle Paul says this in the Bible. You know, Jesus Christ has changed the calculus of everything, right? There is no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. Now, he's not, he's not, he's not saying there's no longer slaves. There were after Paul said those words. He wasn't saying there's no longer, he's not, he wasn't eliminating the gender distinction between men and women. He wasn't saying there's no longer ethnic Jews and Gentiles. He's saying, listen, when it comes to being in Jesus Christ, those kinds of uh, uh, distinctions, which often become the basis for prejudice, they no longer should exist in the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. And at the foot of the, it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. In the church of Jesus Christ, right, that's what he's trying to say, is there, is there is equal dignity and worth for all people, black and white, Haitian and uh, Indonesian, men and women. And we ought to uh, affirm that as the body of Christ, right? It ought to be different in what we do here, regardless of what is being said uh, in not only the world around us, but even here in our local community. So let me just pray this morning uh, for us before we begin, if I can. Please join me. Our God and Father, we come to you this morning as a congregation seeking both your forgiveness where we have failed and your wisdom uh, so that we might succeed, that we might live out our beliefs that all people, no matter their race or gender or history, are made in your image and dignity and are invited to be a part of this, your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Turn there, if you would, in a message, as I said, titled Uncomfortable Community. Choosing people who may not be like you, that you may not like, 
who are there to help you grow spiritually. And I, I sent out some notes to friends this week to ask them just about um, do you have these kind of people in your life, whether it's in your small group or in your, maybe it's in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And one guy said this to me uh, that I thought would be helpful for us. He said, trust me, Rob. Speaking in this case, he was speaking of a small group. We do not see eye to eye on many, many things. I feel like quitting, speaking of a small group, at least once or twice a year. But just like family, I simply don't. They shine the light of Christ in my life. They speak truth to me, not always, I'm sure, and keep me accountable in ways I don't know uh, I wouldn't do otherwise. I'm not necessarily talking about deep theological truths, though those have come up over the years, but things like raising my kids, giving, serving, interacting with others when you really don't want to, and in summary, living closer to the life Jesus asks us to live every day. For that reason, I stick with them. Because even when they bother me, and they do, I threw that in there, but anyway, I still need them. I love them. I'm encouraged and challenged by them to walk closer to Christ uh, than I would on my own. In this passage, let's go to it now, the apostle will lay out three very um, uh, clear invitations to be the body of Christ. I want to talk about them briefly in this sermon. Let's read Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with the pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Really, the whole book of Hebrews is not my subject this morning, but some of you have studied it, really. It's really a long, you know, uh, a, a, a letter that's really talking really about how to grow in maturity as a Christian. And the heart of the message really is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it's really talking to people. There's a couple times in the book where it says, listen, you know, I'd love to take you guys to the meat, talking, you know, using food as a metaphor. I want to tell you about the deep theological truths, but I can't get past the milk because you're spiritual infants. That's what the, the writer of the Hebrew says. The whole book is an encouragement. You can see at the end of this verse, of this passage, do not give up meeting together. Part of the way that this congregation was responding to the challenges of being a Christian, to some of the persecution was, they were just sort of walking away altogether. And in three clear sort of invitations, verse 22, 23, and 24, he wants to encourage the kind of community that I just read about in that letter. Let us, verse 22, let us, verse 23, let us, verse 24. Three things, the first thing. He's going to challenge. This congregation and I would challenge us is we need others to experience the full measure of God's grace. That's what he talks about, you know, by a new and living way in the curtain that is his body. These are just ways to talk about what Christ has done for us. In fact, he mentions here, 
When I talk about experiencing the full measure of God's grace, why do you need it? Right? You might say, well, I became a Christian so many years ago. Christ, uh, I received the forgiveness of sin. And what you've said, Pastor, and what the Bible says is if you receive the forgiveness of sin, you are forgiven, past, present, and future in a manner of speaking. Your slate is clean, and you have a, uh, um, God's acceptance to go to heaven when you die. And I believe that's true. But when he talks about it, but, but, but the, the, the practical salvation... That is, that my life actually becomes more like Jesus, that I become more like him, that the, that the quality and character of the life of Jesus become the quality and character of mine. Well, guys, that's a process, and that's what he's talking about. And what he's saying is that process of experiencing the grace of God has everything to do with dealing with a guilty conscience. In fact, he opens the whole book that way, and even chapter 11, which I'm not going to, or chapter 10, that's what he says. He goes, listen. Why, why does he talk about the sacrifice of Jesus in the, in the, in the ending of this system, in the, in the, the, the tearing of the, um, you know, the, the, the curtain, which was between the holy of holies, saying, listen, the Jewish system, but this could be true of any religious system, was built on the sacrificial system. Every time you sinned, whether it was Monday or Tuesday or September or October, you came with your sacrifice and you brought it to the priest and said, listen, I lied to my friend, I stole something, I murdered somebody. And there's clear prescriptions. And here is my sacrifice. But he said, listen, those sacrifices could never deal with your ultimate problem. They never actually dealt with the underlying problem of sin because if they did, why would you need to be offering them every single year, okay? But Jesus Christ came. And, that, and by the way, that's true of every sacrificial system, every religious system. It's sort of a quid pro quo where you're sort of, you know, appeasing the God, whether it's the Christian, Jewish, or pagan. You're appeasing God for a wrong that you've done, but you do another wrong the next day and the next day, but he's saying in Jesus Christ, right? God has changed the calculus, the understanding of everything. He has come and there is no more sacrifice because when he died, he died for all of your sin. You don't need another sacrifice, but... Here's the point. We need others to experience the full measure of God's grace. At the heart of the Christian faith is a growing reality of God's love and forgiveness at deeper levels in your life. The reason some people, frankly, are more successful at the Christian life of, than others that have more joy, more peace, more self-control, more power over sin in their lives is not because of any, um, uh, they didn't get something from God that you didn't, is because they have appreciated and appropriated the love of God, the forgiveness of Jesus at deeper levels in your life. That's what he's talking about. The whole Christian life is about drink, drinking more deeply from the gospel. That's why he says, listen, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, just using this as a, as a metaphor kind of, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Now he's talking to Christians, Right? So he's not, he's not saying the guilt of your sin that may take you to hell when you die. That's been dealt with. He's talking about the guilty conscience that's part of everyday life for every single person in this room. You don't have to, you wake up with a guilty conscience. I wake up with a guilty conscience because you're a sinner, because I'm a sinner. And what he's saying is, if you really want to experience a growth in your faith, you need other people to help you do that. And it's all about 
appropriating at deeper levels and appreciating at deeper levels the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Let me look at one verse as a good example. Just turn to Hebrews chapter three. How does this look? How does it work? How do other people help me, this pastor, greater appreciate and appropriate God's grace in my life? Look at verse, Hebrews 3, verse 12, says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, again, he's talking to Christians now. This isn't an evangelistic message. That none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. He's saying, listen, is this possible? Is it possible that Christian people like you and me can have bitterness come into my life, can be offended in some way, can have some weakness that's that's gotten the better part of me that says, I'm going to have a hard heart and I'm gonna turn away from God even though I know what's right and God is encouraging me. I say, no, I'm going this way. Can that happen? I think we know it can, right? See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now watch this, what's the answer? but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If you think you're past that, you're you're deceiving yourself. This pastor is not past any sin. Racism, you know, uh, sexual harassment, uh, murder, listen. None of, look at those doms, like, you're not going that far, are you? No, listen, all, it's all, we're, we're capable of anything, right? We're capable of anything. You need to understand that. But encourage one another as long as it's called today so that you may not be hardened by sinful default. Verse 14, now watch this. We have come to share in Christ, right? If, circle that word, Indeed, we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Now, he's not saying you can lose your salvation. He's talking about your experience. He's saying, listen, we've come to share in Christ. In other words, his life is becoming more and more mine. That's what he means by sharing Christ. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction. What's he talking about? He's talking about the grace of God. He's talking about this long verses that we just read, your heart's sprinkled in a guilty conscience. He's talking about the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus going deeper into your life. And he's saying, listen, the only way you can hold or one of the ways you hold on to it is other people encourage you daily uh, uh, so that you can hold this conviction firmly to the end. Another friend, I asked about these, uh, you know, are there people in your life How are they helping you, encouraging you in your walk? He said this to me. Rob, one of the 800-pound gorillas in the Christian world today is the battle for the hearts of men towards pornography, to which I am not unscarred from. The shame that comes with it keeps men from being willing to confess it and from talking openly about the struggle to encourage one another, even though on any given day, we could be within arm's reach of a number of other men who have been impacted by it and want nothing more than to get victory over it. It, Watch this. It's like we're in a sea of strangers who all know the same language, but no one is willing to introduce themselves to one another. Isn't that amazing? I was at a place where my marriage was at high risk and I didn't know where to turn. Even though I'd promised my wife time and again it would end and time and again I would seek help to no avail. But it wasn't until a friend of mine said, don't focus on the sin, focus on Jesus. 
Focus on his thoughts about you, that's what we're talking about, and his ways. I can tell you honestly that although I still struggle, there has been great victory, right? That's what we're talking about. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another, right? Listen, that might not be your issue, but I promise you, you would struggle with a guilty conscience because you'd have to be non-human to not struggle with a guilty conscience because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Guilt and shame are the root of human sinfulness. Read Genesis 1 and 2, okay? And whatever those issues are, he'll say this if a couple, I think it's the next chapter, no, chapter 12. This is, it's almost like the, I almost, when I first read uh, Hebrews 12, I lived in Texas, I thought, man, someone from Texas wrote this. Says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, you know? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. That's what it says. It's not a cliche. Put your, what does it mean to fix your eyes on Jesus? It's not a, it doesn't mean stare at a picture of him. It means focus on what he has done for you. Right? There's only one sacrifice for sin. And as you and I get a better understanding and we appreciate it, we begin to appropriate it, that forgiveness goes deeper and deeper into the heart of where we most need it. That's what we're talking about. And what I'm saying to you is you need other people, I need other people to do that, point one. Point two, uh, back to Hebrews 9. He's gonna, the second let us, verse 23. Church growth is a group effort, right? That's what he's saying here. Church growth is a group effort. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who is promised is faithful, right? We're supposed to profess our faith, which means we are to affirm. What does that mean to profess your faith? It means to affirm your allegiance to Jesus, right? That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm affirming my allegiance, and the more I do that, the more the life of Christ in Christ, I begin to share in Christ and my life begins to change. But remember this, when, when he's talking about professing your faith, right? Think of the great word, the great commission. Jesus comes, you know, the end of his life and he, or he's risen from the dead and the end of his, his earthly ministry, so to speak. And he says, listen, he, grab, he grabs the disciples together. And they represent the church. When you read the Bible, you, you see, see yourself in the disciples. He says, listen, friends, right? In, in the end of Matthew, it was the 12 disciples. In, the, in Acts chapter 1, it included 120 people, men and women, probably some children in there. He said, listen, go into all the world and profess your faith and preach the gospel. Now, when he said that, think about this. There were, nobody was a Christian, right? Nobody was a Christian except for those 120 people. The whole world was unreached and he was sending them as he is sending me and he is sending you into your neighborhood, into your school, into wherever it is that you live. But what Paul is saying here is, listen, let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess. You can't do this on your own. You need other people to be able to encourage you because I love the way he uses the word. Let us hold unswervingly. What he's saying is, listen, when it comes to our faith, Professing our faith, you know, you, you've heard this term, you know, uh, uh, um, the road to hell is, is paved with good intentions, okay? Now, that's not in the Bible, that, those very words, but the truth is there, right? What he's saying is, listen, many of us, if we're honest, when it comes to professing our faith, that's what we're all called, that's what the church exists, to share the gospel with the people in your school kids, in your classrooms, teachers, in your doctor's offices, in your, you know, neighborhoods. That's what the church is called to do. 
But for many of us, if we're honest, our very good intentions end up in the ditch, right? We very rarely make good on our commitment to call our brother, to call our friend, to, make, to reconcile this relationship, to have a little gathering in your neighborhood. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, um, uh, let's rent out Blue Cross Arena. I'm talking about living out your faith with the lost people all around you. We're all called to do that. But he says, listen, the problem is when it comes to sharing our faith, most of us are not very good drivers, right? Let us hold unswervingly because we start with a good intention and we end up, and those good intentions end up in the ditch. And he's saying, listen, you need other people. I mentioned this to you not to talk about myself. I'm, I'm in the same boat you guys are in. I stood up here, I don't know, whenever it was November or something, I said, I'm going to have this holiday party or with my name. I kind of said that out loud because I knew somebody here would hold me accountable, right? Otherwise, I might not do it. Seriously, I might not do it. Once I said it, I said, I got to do it. But let me tell you something. What made that little holiday neighborhood experience a success, I invited four or five of my neighbors. I had no idea that they would come. I didn't know them at all. For them. I mean, except for, of course, short conversations. But I invited two or three or four couples in my neighborhood, friends that perhaps are in this room, and I, and because I knew that they, together we could do it. They would be a part of the encouragement, right? And really, most of the conversations they did that night, I was, you know, pouring stuff and, and, and moving stuff around, okay? <laughs> we need each other. We need each other. We'll get one quick verse, Romans chapter uh, t- uh, 10. Romans chapter 10. Familiar verse, but it's worth looking at. We talk about the church is a, is a church growth is a group process. Romans 10. Verse uh, 14, 15. Familiar verses. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? Okay, this is, this is the beginning of the church. And he's challenging these folks in the Roman church. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they, anyone preach unless they are sent? That's you and me, okay, to them. Now watch this, I love this. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, why does he quote that? That's from the book of Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet. It's, quote, it's poetry. But here's where that comes from. I think it's Isaiah chapter 52. And when the, after 70 years in exile, the people of God were in Babylon. I mean, the temple had been burned, the whole Jewish experiment. It was like, it was like complete defeat. But God had prophesied their return. Remember, we studied the book of Nehemiah together. And God sent a herald, and that's what Isaiah 52, and somebody came, remember, there's no cars, there's no, you know, motorcycles, there's no trains. It was almost like, you know, the old, uh, you know, Charles Dickens thing. There were heralds, they came out. And what he's saying is some herald came out and said, listen, to the Babylonian captivity. They came, like, you know, the Pony Express kind of a thing, and they said, listen, hear ye, hear ye. Make a highway for our God, right? God has called you back. Cyrus has made a decree. Darius has backed it up. The people of God can come back. And the poet, or I should say Isaiah writing poetry, uses these words. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And why does he use the feet? Because in those days, the feet were the transportation of the herald, right? See, that's how they did it. He said, how beautiful are the feet of those who brought this good news, right? And God has sent you out and me out, right? And, I, and, and what he's saying is, listen, 
Our tendency, our tendency, my tendency, is, is when, I, when it's all about me, my good intentions, they end up in the ditch. If you really want to see your good intentions, if we want to see our good intentions to reach people, young and old, black and white, students and professionals, you know, uh, you know everything under the sun in this community, we need to do it together. Let us hold uh, uh, together. What does it say? Let us um, uh, now unswervingly profess our faith. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Last point in this message, the last let us, is we need to constructively, um, we need constructive confrontation to act um, in our full potential. Last uh, let us here, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's, it's almost like any good coach or, or teacher or whatever. He's sort, of, he's sort of, you know, he's upping the ante as he's encouraging them what to do, Right? He's upping the ante. And he says, listen, first of all, you need other people to encourage you towards love and faith in Jesus. You need other people to help you to get a greater access to God's grace. Now, that's great. Who wouldn't want that? Everyone's signing up for that. I want people in my life to send me a verse, to encourage me, to call me, say, listen, God loves you more than you think. You can, you, you can do better than you God has more for you. There's greater love and there's greater access to his grace, right? That's the first one. The second one's about sharing the faith. But the third one, okay, is about really, are you willing, am I willing to have people in my life who can irritate me in a way towards um, what God has called me to do? Because the word spur, it's in verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur. Now, the word spur, literally, if, the, if you look up the Greek, it kind of means irritate, uh, but it means provoke, right? To sharply confront is what it means. So think about this. Provoke or sharply confront. I don't typically pick my friends to play tennis with or to hang out with or, you know, to socialize with who I think, well, I, I want to hang out with you because I know you're going to provoke me. I know you're going to irritate. No, I, want, I avoid people who irritate me, right? I mean, just like you do. But if you really want to reach your potential, what the writer is saying is you need to pick these people. You know what I was thinking about? I thought about David. All right? There's a lot of examples, but David, King David, some of you know the story. Nathan who came to him at a time, in his, a critical time in his life. He said, listen, David, you know, some of you know the story. I won't go into it. He said, listen, David, there's a sin in your life. It's like a cancer. And no one is willing to, a lot of people know about it, but no one's willing to, to talk to you about it. And what I'm telling you is, if you do not wake up and deal with this sin in your life, it's going to undo you, Right? But you know what Nathan also, some, that we, we forget that a couple years earlier, Nathan was the one who also said to David, when David had this great prayer, and he said, listen, I want to build a little house for the tabernacle, for the, for, the, for the ark of God. And Nathan came to David and said, listen, you're thinking far too small. It's called the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel 7, he says, you want to build a little house for God? Let me tell you what. God wants to build a dynasty through you. So Nathan not only was someone who said, your sin's going to undo your life. He also said, you're thinking too small. How about Jesus and Peter? I mean, if any, I mean Peter's, the, Peter's synonymous with failure in the New Testament, right? I don't even know the man. Never heard of Jesus. I don't, want, I, I don't even know who he is, right? The great, I mean, this is recorded for all of history. Poor guy, you know? 
But Jesus comes to Peter, John 21. He says, listen, Peter, I forgive you. Get over it. I have more important things for you to do. Think about it. Does anyone in your life say that to you? Listen, I know you screwed up. I know you've failed. I know you've made a mistake. I know you've blown those years. Let me tell you something. I'm not done with you yet. I still am. You know what? Peter, the greatest things that Peter did, Acts chapter 2 and on, Acts chapter 10, that happened after, after his great failure because he had someone in his life who was willing to say, um, there's more for you. Do you have those kind of people? That's what he's talking about here. Now, most of us don't need this every day in our life, right? I mean, I don't, I don't need a Nathan every day in my life. Some of us maybe, I guess. But it doesn't happen every day to tell me, Rob, if you don't get real about what's going on, no one else will tell you, but I'm going to tell you. Bill Hybels, if you know uh, the, the pastor, Bill Hybels, I remember this years ago, it could have been 10, and he, 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 he's a pastor of a church in, in Chicago, and he said he called it the last 10%. And he said, you know, most people, when you're talking to people, maybe it's a friend, someone in your small group, he says, you know, you're willing to share about 90% of what you think because there's 10% that you're not going to share because it's very awkward. And he said, I started this thing in my church, in my, uh, among my staff, we called it the last 10%. And he said, but what he did was, he said, he would ask permission. So that was me, you, me and you, Dom. And I said, listen, Dom, I need permission for, to, to right now to speak the last 10%. And even though it was awkward and something was difficult, I asked permission, I was given permission, and I was cleared, and I said, listen, now here's what I need to tell you, right? The question, do you have those kind of people in your life, right? Now, I'm not saying you join a small group, they're gonna be there right away. You gotta take steps. But what I'm challenging you to do, what I'm encouraging you to do, is to get intentional people in your life. If it's your spouse, that's not a bad thing, but you can go beyond that. Spouses tend to want to protect their loved ones. Makes sense. People in your life who you can say, listen, I want to tell you, before anything ever happens, these are my goals. I want to be faithful to my wife. I want to, God has called me to, to, to do more, to give more, to serve more. This is what I'm telling you. Dave, these are the three things that I really feel um, that, are, that are about what I want to accomplish and I'm, I'm, I want you to know what they are and I want to enter into a relationship where you can hold me accountable, right? That's what he's talking about. This is what uncomfortable community is. And if you really want to experience what God has for you, right, some of it cannot be experienced without the help of other people, right? We speak the truth uh, to one another in love and we become therefore mature, okay? So let me just say this as we close. If you... Um, uh, how do you, what, what do I do here in the church? How can the church help you? Well, there's a number of ways the church can help you. I'm not going to go into them all. But most of you, probably the overwhelming majority of you, um, in, uh, on the, on the, I think it was, a, not, maybe it was this past Tuesday, got a note from Pete Englert, our adult ministries leader, about next steps. There's small groups coming up, a new small group experience in February. There is you know, women's mentoring, there's a men's study that'll happen early February. Listen, there's classes, there's, there's support groups. Listen, there's a number of them. And, the, but, but you gotta, you gotta decide, 
you want to choose to move in that direction. I'm going to challenge you to do that. If you didn't get that email, you can stop and see one of the people in, our, in the uh, um, Belong Center this morning. And, uh, or, let me give you this as well. I think it's going to go up on the, on the screen. If you just text this number, if that's your style, and, and you didn't get this email, just text this number, and it will um, send you back this, this email and you can get these opportunities. But the point is we want to help you take a next step. Amen? All right, stand with me. Let me say uh, just a couple things before I send you out and we pray. Um, one thing that I didn't say um, in my announcements of uh, 35 minutes ago or whenever that was is relative to the, you know, the projects and the REACH initiative is this. The Welcome Center has been um, temporarily, uh, for a month or two, moved into the Belong Center. So if you're a guest, I'll be out there. We want you just you go to the Belong Center, not only take a next step, but to, to um, uh, be welcomed by some of our Connections team. And for certainly the next six weeks or so, the Welcome Center is sort of a, is a, is a, is a REACH project hub because we want you to get some information. So in addition to the document I just gave you and these meetings that are coming up at the uh, February 1st and uh, 1 and 3, you can walk through there and see um, a 3D rendering of, of these spaces. And there are some um, uh, actual uh, renderings up on the wall as well. There's some literature. It's just there for you. And that's where we'll uh, surround the meeting. So I just wanted to mention that I didn't do that before. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I'm grateful for every person in this room and for their desire to even be here this morning. I thank you for your love for them and I pray that we might be better at uh, encouraging one another, uh, Lord, to um, experience your grace at deeper levels, that we might get better at helping each other um, profess our faith with our friends and others. And Lord, that we might get more um, courage to invite um, constructive um, confrontation in our lives where we, uh, so that we might reach our fullest potential as students, as um, professionals, as uh, you know, people, uh, moms, dads, all, whatever the case may be, Lord, that we might become all that you want us to be and that we as a church, while we're, be, while, we're, while we're sharing more in the life of Christ, we might share the life of Christ more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.